Well, let me uh, welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. It was good to be with you guys just a little bit ago. And all of you watching online, I'm glad you are uh, with us. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to Romans chapter 7. Okay, Romans chapter 7. Turn your smartphone on. Get to Romans chapter 7. Everybody's got a Bible app, right? Just open it up and get to Romans 7. If you don't have your Bible with you today, all of the verses are in your program. They'll be on the jumbotrons. They'll come up on the screen there at home. And if you do not own a copy of the Word of God, all you have to do is make your way into the altar room, the altar room over in the venue, and we'd love to give you one. Uh, we give away hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Bibles, as you can imagine. We want people to have the Word of God uh, for themselves that you might be able to read at any time. And so if you don't own a copy of the Bible, let, it, let us give you one. It's, it's something that we'd love to do here at, um, at Big Valley Grace. But before I get into this thing, I want you to reach into your program and pull out that little card that looks like this. Okay, Easter with us here at Big Valley Grace, okay? A big, huge time of the year for uh, the church. Not just this one, but any church. And uh, we want you to know what's happening. And so on the back of this card right here, it tells you about our Good Friday services. We have one here at noon, one at 7 o'clock on April 14th. And um, it is a, it's holy and sacred in a, in a different way. Uh, we change this room around. The mood when you walk in here is just way different. Um, there's a cross up here. There's no pulpit. There's no one preaches. But for about 45 minutes after we've welcomed everybody, you, we just fill your mind with the Word of God, literally from the Old Testament all the way through the New all the scriptures that talk about the fact that the Messiah was going to come, the Savior was going to come, he was going to suffer. You get into the New Testament, and the Savior's been born, and he ultimately dies on a cross. It is really a, a holy time, a weighty time in a way different way, and you need to be here, Christian. You need to set aside, you know, the whole thing's about 50, 55 minutes long, and you need to come to it, okay? We got two Good Friday services. And then you can see our Easter celebrations, okay? They're holy and righteous in a whole nother way. They really are a celebration. And we've got a sunrise service at 6.30 a.m. out by the prayer garden, out by all the ball fields and all of that. And then we have a 4 and 6 o'clock on Saturday and a 9 and 11 o'clock on Sunday. Over in the venue, we're actually going to have services over there, live services, and we want you to invite your friends, and that has a whole different vibe over there. We want you to invite your friends to it. You enjoy that. That's your, that's your community over there, and so invite friends and bring them into um, the, the venue with you. And, and this is really a, a tool to, uh, to give to your friends, invite your friends, those that you do life with, people you work with, play golf with, play tennis with, your mailman, your you know, your person who cuts your hair, whoever it might be. This is for you to invite a friend. And here's the deal. I always tell you, you never talk to your friends about God until you've talked with God about your friends. That's the right order. You see, we're involved in a spiritual uh, uh, war. It's a spiritual thing we're involved in. And you always want to go here first and talk to him about your friends before you ever go to your friends and talk about God with them. 
And so that brings me to this other card, okay? Everybody pull that card out. This becomes a, a weighty tool for us this time of year. And it's a prayer card. And what we want you to do is just write the first name of somebody that you're, um, you're, you're praying. You're talking to the Lord about a friend that you want to invite, someone you work with, a relative, a parent, a grandparent. It could be, like I said, somebody who mows your lawn or whatever. Just put their first name there. These are people that we want to partner with you in praying for them. And when we're done, you can go out to our prayer wall and stick it on the wall, or you can just stick it in one of these uh, connect boxes here, and we'll put them out there for you. And this Wednesday at our all-church prayer meeting, our, one of the big things we're doing is, is praying for Easter. And we'll be praying for these cards, your friends' names. We're going to partner with you and talk to the Lord about your friends. So make sure you, you fill this card out. And here's the deal. If you know Christ as your Savior, and right now you're going, you know, I really don't, I don't really have any unsaved friends that I interface with, then what you need to do right now is repent. <laughs> God wants you to be salt and light in the world. How are you salt and light if you haven't, you know, um, developed friendships with those that don't know Christ? That's part of the gig. You can't be salt and light to other believers. God wants us to, to live our lives out in the world. He wants us to go. And, and so I want you thinking about somebody. Maybe your prayer for some of you is, God, I need to change the way I live my life as a follower of Christ. Not to be in the world or to be of it, but I, I certainly am in it. And so help me, Lord, to cultivate one or two friends that I might be sharing the gospel with or inviting to functions that they might come to know uh, Christ also. Okay, now, here we go. Before, uh, before I get into this, let, let me quickly share this with you. In Romans chapter 3, Paul, who was the writer of the book of Romans, tells us that the law or the Ten Commandments has nothing to do with your salvation. In other words, Paul tells us that the, nobody's made right with God because they keep the law. That nobody's going to stand before God and say, hey, God, I saw the Ten Commandments, those ten magnificent sentences that you had you know, uh, you gave to Moses, and, and I, I've kept them all perfectly, and so you owe me heaven. I, I'm not sure why you sent your son for me to die on a cross, because I've kept the law perfectly, and I didn't need him. I didn't need the salvation he brought. I simply was saved because I kept the law. Nobody's ever going to be able to say that. Nobody is made right by keeping the law. Nobody. No one's going to get into heaven because they kept the Ten Commandments, okay? Nobody. He's told us that in chapter 3. He goes on to tell us that the only way anybody ever gets into heaven is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's the only way anybody will ever make it into heaven. So when you get to the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 7, Paul begins to answer a very important question that the people would have been asking, and that is this. Okay, Paul, if nobody gets into heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, 
If that's not how you get into heaven, then, then what was their purpose? Why did God in Exodus chapter 20 give Moses those 10 magnificent statements? What was the, what was the point of that? And so Paul begins to unpack the answer in Romans chapter 7. He shares a number of really important reasons as to why God gave us a law. And the, and the big one, the most important one, at least in my opinion, was that God gave us the law so that we could see how sinful we were. The point of the Ten Commandments were that you would look at them and go, uh-oh, I've, I've violated God's law. I haven't lived all these out perfectly. Oh, oh, I, I, I've got number, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, six down. I've never murdered. But as I look at these ten commandments, I certainly have violated one or two of them in the course of my life. I've, I've sinned against you. I, I've disobeyed you. In the Garden of Eden, God tells Adam, Adam, don't eat from that tree. It was one command. And he violated it. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives us 10. And the point of those 10 were that we would look at them and go, wow, I've blown it. You see, it is possible to stand before God someday and say, hey, God, look, number, number six, I nailed 100% of the time in my whole life. And I, I, got, uh, I got number five, I got that one right about 95% of the time. I honored my mom and dad about 95% of the time. But nobody's gonna be able to stand before God and say, God, I lived out all 10 of them perfectly since the moment I was born. I never once violated any of these 10 laws. No one can do that. The reason why God gave them to them, us was that we would go, uh-oh. I've disobeyed God. And then that realization would help us to see the Savior. Oh, God, I've blown it. Yeah, you have. God, I need your Messiah. Yeah, you need my, yeah. You need the Savior. Yes, yes, yes. That was the point of the law. That it would simply reveal to us our need for a Savior. It would reveal to us our, our sin and thus we needed a, 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 a Savior. So with this said, I want to read our, our text together. Okay? It's really, it's an unbelievable little section of Scripture. Just really unbelievable. Paul is going to give us a little glimpse into his life. Look at verse 14. Paul says, so the trouble is not with the law. The law is very spiritual. The law is good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human. I, I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but, but I don't do it at times. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. 
But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin that lives within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my flesh, my human nature, my sinful nature, I want to do what is right. But at times I can't. I want to do what is good. But at times I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul says, oh, I I love God's law. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by, by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Amen. This is an unbelievable passage. It's obvious that Paul at, at times is in deep conflict within himself. He obviously loves God deeply. He obviously loves God's law deeply. He obviously wants to obey God's law, but at times he just can't pull it off. At times he does the very opposite of what God longs for him to do or commands for him to do. And the reason why he does just the opposite is because of the sin within him. The sin within him is just dragging him down a rat hole. Just dragging him to an, an, ugly, an ugly place. This is a, a very real battle that Paul faces. It's an, it's an intense battle that he faces. And I want you to know there are some that believe that this section of scripture is describing the life of Paul when he was an unbeliever. But they're wrong. They're dead wrong. Because there's not an unbeliever on the planet that would have this type of internal conflict going on within them. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. Friends, without a doubt, this section of scripture is describing the inner life of Paul as a believer. And not just an immature believer, but a very mature believer. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. How many of you have ever read the book that was made into several movies entitled Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde? A number of you. I reread it this past uh, uh, week. Great book. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's a, a, a classic novel that was written in the eight, in 1880s about right and wrong, joy and despair, the struggle of good and evil. It's a story about one man who had two distinct personalities that inhabited his body. One was Dr. Jekyll 
and the other was named Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll was the good one. He's a professional man who hangs out with all the right people. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. Everybody likes him. He's an outstanding citizen. He's a good man. Mr. Hyde, on the other hand, is just the opposite. He's evil. He's very evil. In fact, he's pure evil. And he does things that Dr. Jekyll would never even think of doing. He's a very, very, very bad man. Robert Louis Stevenson, who was the author, was once asked, where did you find the, the model for your characters of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And he said, well, I, I found it in my own life or my own nature. It's believed that Stevenson was a Christian and that he had learned that there was indeed inside the soul of every child of God a beast, Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde lives within all of us. Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 and 15. Paul says, so the trouble is not with the law, the for it is spiritual and good. What, what God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 20 is good, it's holy, it's righteous. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human. I, I got Mr. Hyde I'm dealing with. That's the trouble. The trouble isn't the law. It's a beautiful thing. It's holy and righteous and sacred. The problem's not the law, the problem's me. Christian, there are lots of things that are true of you today that weren't true of you before you gave your life to Christ. And to know where I'm going, I, I need to unpack this for you. Let, let me give you the, the big one, okay? Before you met Christ, you had one nature. Now as a Christian, you have two natures. You have a new Christ filled nature, but you still have the old sinful nature. And we see these two natures in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, get rid of Mr. Hyde and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deceit. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, the, the, the Dr. Jekyll. Created to be like God, truly righteous and, and holy. There are many, many places in the New Testament where we see these two natures at work or described. The old nature, the Adamic nature, the old sin-filled nature, Mr. Hyde, and the new nature, the Christ-filled nature. Now, I want to make sure you get this. Before you gave your life to Christ, before you became a follower of Christ, all you had within you was the old sinful nature, right? All you had was Mr. Hyde, which means you were controlled by your old sinful nature. Mr. Hyde was in control of your life. In fact, you were in bondage to Mr. Hyde. You were in bondage to your flesh because it was the only nature that you had. You were the boss of your own life. You did whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do it. And because of this, there was little, if any, conflict within your soul. 
Your flesh, your sinful nature, Mr. Hyde, really likes it when it's the center of attention. It likes it when all of its needs are being met. It likes it when all of its desires are being fulfilled. This is why when two people get married, often things are tough. Because all of a sudden, you have to care and worry about somebody else's needs and wants besides your own. When one Mr. Hyde marries another Mr. Hyde, it can be tough. <laughs> Mr. Hyde likes it when it's taken care of. And its needs are met. And all of a sudden you say, I do. I have, to, I have to care about this person? I have to put my own needs aside? I have to make their needs more important than my needs? <sighs> now, prior to coming to Christ, you didn't know any of this, but there came a moment when everything changed. There came a moment when you surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, and at that very moment, there was a cataclysm shift, if you will, within your soul. The Bible says that at the very moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God sent his Holy Spirit to invade your soul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body, and Paul says no good dwells in this, in the, in the flesh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now, as cool and wonderful as this is, it created a weird dilemma within your body. It really created the ultimate odd couple. Because now living within you are two very different natures. The new Christ-controlled nature, Dr. Jekyll, and the old flesh-controlled nature, Mr. Hyde. Now we know that the old nature was crucified when you gave your life to Christ. I spent two weeks talking about this. But that doesn't mean that it's been obliterated or destroyed. It simply means it's been rendered powerless. In other words, for the very first time in your life after you received Christ, you now have the power to say no to sin. You can say, no, Mr. Hyde, I'm not living like that. I'm not following what you want me to do. And that only happened after you received Christ. Is the old nature still there? Yeah, the old nature hasn't gone anywhere. It's housed within your flesh. That's why this flesh, as I often tell you, it, it dies. This, this isn't going to go to heaven, people. This doesn't go. All this does is connected to the physical. It's all it does. It's corrupted with sin. It's the headquarters of sin. Sin dwells in this. That's why when you take your last breath, the Bible says, absent from Mr. Hyde, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Mr. Hyde lives in your flesh. This doesn't go to heaven. That's why when you do a funeral, there's a casket with a, with a corpse in it. It doesn't go to heaven. They just stick it in the ground and put it under six feet of dirt. You, your spirit goes to heaven, but this doesn't get to go because it's been corrupted by sin. 
When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit in you doesn't redeem your flesh. That's not what's redeemed. That's why this doesn't get to go. It's almost, I have this little can, it says salts, or, or uh, salted uh, mixed nuts, and I have it in my office, and, and my son, when he was young, used to come into my office all the time, and he'd grab this thing, and uh, he'd open it up, and, <laughs> and the first time he did it, you know, he would, was scared, and he laughed, and then he'd come into my office all the time, and he, he'd put it, he'd do that to me, and I'd laugh and act like I had never seen it before, and then he'd do it again. He'd do it like 12 times in a row, and I'd go, ah! you know, like it was the first time I'd ever seen it. That snake in there is Mr. Hyde. And Mr. Hyde's super patient. Mr. Hyde will stay in the can. And all he's waiting for is for you to take your eye off the Lord. And as soon as you do, boom! <laughs> Mr. Hyde's all over you like a cheap suit, huh? Some of you walked in here today, and Mr. Hyde's in control of your life, right? Mr. Hyde's ruining your marriage. Mr. Hyde is ruining your family. Mr. Hyde's in control of your life. So you have these two distinct natures that you have to deal with. Now in our text, we see these two natures going after each other, don't we? We see the new nature wanting to do what is right, wanting to please God, wanting to live for God, wanting to be honest and sincere, wanting to fulfill all the laws of God. Beloved, the, the, the new nature really wants to do the God-honoring thing. But we also see the old nature at work, don't we? The old, old nature has a different agenda. It doesn't want to do anything that pleases God. In fact, the old nature is in direct opposition to the things of God. So at times within our souls, there's this civil war that's going on. I often will say to myself, man, there are two me's. I think that's kind of what Paul's saying. There are two me's. One me wants to do all the things that God's word says I'm to do and not to do all the things that God's word says don't do and then I got this other me. It doesn't want anything to do with God. It hates the things of God. And we see this being played out in, in, our, in our text. Now let me say this. There are some people that not only believe that Paul wrote this before he was a believer, but some think that he wrote this right after he was converted. In other words, this passage describes a baby Christian, a Christian that hasn't matured yet, a Christian that really doesn't know that much about the Lord. And I want you to know those people are wrong. They're just dead wrong. This passage, is, Paul is describing his life now as an apostle of Christ, as a leader of God's church. This is Paul at the height of his spiritual walk. This is Paul at the apex of his spiritual journey. 
You see, the more mature you are in Christ, the more you understand who God is and how holy and righteous he is. The more mature you are in Christ, the more you long to obey God, the more you long to obey his law. The more mature you are in Christ, the more you recognize how short you come in fulfilling those laws. The more mature you are in Christ, the more you understand how unworthy and sinful you are, how broken you are. The more mature you are in Christ, the greater the recognition of this internal war that wages within your soul at times. Beloved, make no mistake about it. This is the great apostle Paul describing his life, as I said, at the apex of his journey with Christ. As somebody who had a deep, deep, deep love for for God. It's only the self-righteous legalists who think they've arrived. I mean, they'd never admit that they struggle with sin, not for a minute. They've deceived themselves into thinking that they've made it. That they've, man, they've conquered it. They got it all together. The self-righteous legalists would never write Romans 7. Not them. They got it all together. Beloved, one of the marks of a mature follower of Christ is their keen recognition of how sinful and unworthy they are. Listen to how Paul described himself. Just give you a little taste. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, For I am the least of the apostles. And I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. And the reason I think he wrote that was he was very cognitive of Mr. Hyde in his life. And I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, back when Christ called me to be an apostle, I wasn't worthy. No, he says, I'm not worthy now at the time that I'm writing this. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. As an apostle of the Lord, he he saw how Mr. Hyde would rear his ugly head in his life. He knew how sinful he was. The more Paul got to know Christ, the more he learned about Christ, the more he learned about how holy and righteous God was and how holy and righteous and good the law of God was, the more he recognized just how messed up and insignificant he was. And beloved, a baby Christian wouldn't have this kind of self-recognition within themselves. It's only somebody who has walked with God a long, long time long time. Listen to me. As you read this section of scripture here in Romans chapter 7, it ought to bring you great comfort knowing you're not alone in this civil war. That even the great apostle Paul struggled with his old nature. God used Paul who struggled with Mr. Hyde to write most of the New Testament. If the only people God used were perfect people, then there wouldn't have been any musicians up here. There wouldn't have been any singers up here. I certainly wouldn't be up here. 
The stage would be empty if God only used perfect people who never made mistakes, where Mr. Hyde never got the better of them. There would never be anybody up here. God used this great man in some incredible ways, even though there were times when he just fumbled the ball. And he fumbled it greatly. I think it's interesting that as Paul is writing this letter, the Holy Spirit is working in him, and he doesn't know he's writing a letter that we're all going to read 2,000 years later. He thinks he's just writing to a small group of believers in Rome. But the Holy Spirit directs him to bear his soul with these believers. The Holy Spirit directs him to let them know of his own struggles. My question is, is when was the last time you bared your soul to somebody? When was the last time you were with someone and you said, hey, I, I need to tell you something. Mr. Hyde's got me. Mr. Hyde's in control of my life. When was the last time he did that? Some people never do that. You know, they come and they leave and they come and they leave and they never bear their soul to anybody and then they're divorced and, and then they lose their business and they lose their family and they, because you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna tell anybody I struggle with alcohol. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm not telling anybody I struggle with porn. I, I'm not gonna tell anybody I struggle. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna bear my soul like the great apostle Paul. Why would I do that? And that's just the way Satan likes it. Just keep your sin in, in the dark. And then he eats you alive with it. It's when you follow the example of the great apostle Paul and you say, hey, let me tell you about something I'm struggling with. That's when you begin to see victory. That's why here at Big Valley Grace, this is the only time we basically get people in rows. Everything else would get you in circles. Men's ministry, circles. Women's ministry, circles. CR, you get in circles. Prime time is in circles right now. Over in the venue, you're in circles. We want you to get together, guys with guys, gals with gals, that you might be able to build relationships so you could do what the great apostle Paul did, and that is just share, share what's going on in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly. This is an important part of the journey of faith. Now, what I'm going to do uh, right now is I'm, I'm, I'm going to quickly, and the key word is quickly, give you six things that Paul recognized about himself. He recognized them. Okay? And I want you to know that that's, that's key. And then in two weeks, I'm actually going to come back and I'm going to take this section of Scripture. I wrote two sermons this week. And I didn't know which one to preach. And they're both way different. I come at this passage from just two different angles. And I kept going, man, oh man, because I love this so much. And then I said, you know what? I'm the senior pastor. I'm going to preach them both. So I'm, I'm giving you one right now. And then in two weeks, I'm going to give you the second one. Okay? 
But here are six things. I'm going to go through it real quickly. Number one, Paul recognized he had a problem. He recognized he had a problem. His friends didn't recognize he had a problem. He wasn't married, but his spouse didn't recognize he had a problem. He recognized he had a problem. And this is super important. Look look, look at verse 14. The trouble's not with the law. The law is spiritual. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The trouble is with me. He recognized I got a problem. If you don't recognize you got a problem, then we can't help you. Can't tell you how many times we get phone calls from people, hey, listen, my husband's a drunk, can you talk to him? (laughs) No, it won't help. They have to realize it. If they don't recognize they have a problem, it doesn't do any good. Paul says, I got a problem and I recognize it. Pogo, who was a cartoon character created by Walt Kelly, said this, we've met the enemy and the enemy is my spouse. No, the the enemy's us. When you get home today, go look in the mirror. That's the problem. You, Mr. Hyde. It's not your spouse. It's not your dad or your mother. It's not your boss. It's not the people in your small group. The problem is you. Mr. Hyde lives in you. That's the problem. And I love the fact that right out of the gate, Paul says, I, 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 got, I know that it's, it's me. It's me. And by the way, do you know how you recognize a person that realizes they have a problem? They're doing something about it. You know how I know that people understand that they've got a problem called Mr. Hyde in their life? You know how I know that? They're doing something about it. You see, they they recognize, I got this problem. So they come to church on a regular basis. They're involved in men's ministries. They're involved in women's ministries. They signed up for the women's conference. They study their Bible in the mornings. They pray in the afternoons. They're involved in the things of God because they know that's the only way you keep the lid on the thing. You show me somebody that comes to church once a month and I'll show you somebody who doesn't recognize Mr. Hyde in their life. I don't get it. You show me somebody who's not involved in a men's study or a women's study and I'll show you somebody who doesn't understand the problem they got. If If your solution to keeping Mr. Hyde in the can is doing a two-minute devotional in the morning, you don't get it. 
Mr. Hyde's okay with you having a little two-minute devotional in the morning. You do that. You think that's going to keep him in the can? Two minutes out of a 24-hour day? Nothing wrong with doing a two-minute devotional. Don't misunderstand me. But somebody who understands the real problem is going to invest way more than two minutes in the morning doing something. Number two, Paul recognized that he was confused. <laughs> Look at verse 15. This is like one of the greatest sentences in all the Bible. I don't really understand myself. I love that. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. Oh, God, what am I doing? What is wrong with me? I don't understand myself. This is the great apostle Paul saying this. This isn't some, you know, newbie in the faith. He's saying, man, there are times I don't get it, man. I don't understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Once you know, that's a great prayer. I'll just tell you right now, that's a great prayer. Lord, I don't understand myself. I don't. I mean, I love my spouse, and I don't know why I treated her that way. I mean, I love my kids. I don't know why I said that to them. So why did they do that? God, I love your word, and I know what it says, and oh, why did I do that? Oh, God, I don't understand myself. I think it's comforting to know that even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, didn't always understand what was going on in his life. I mean, next to Jesus, wouldn't he be like the number one draft pick in terms of who's the greatest Christian ever? I mean, you know, when you think, well, I don't know. And he's, here's the greatest Christian ever. Ever. We literally study and study his writings. And he says, I don't get myself sometimes. Okay. That gives you some hope, doesn't it? I guess if he struggled, I, I could struggle, right? Now, it's not an excuse just to go live however you want to live. But I love... The fact that God wanted to make sure that his people understood something. That sometimes Mr. Hyde will get the better of you. And when he does, that doesn't mean you can't be used by God. He used Paul. Number three, Paul recognized he was frustrated in verse 17, he says, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin that lives within me that's doing it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. Obviously, the Holy Spirit lives in us, so that's good. That's why he says, that, that is, he, he, he's going to clarify, that is in my sinful nature. Nothing, nothing's good. I want to do what is right. I, I know what's right. 
I know what the law is. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament then, so when he's talking about it, I know what's right. He, he was talking about the law. I, I know what's right. We have the Bible. We have the New Testament. I know what's right. God left it for me. I want to do what's good, but I, I, I don't always do it. I, I don't pull it off. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It's sin living within me. In other words, I know that the law is right and holy and good. I know that's God's word to me, and I want to do it. So when I don't do it, it's not the spirit of God in me doing it. It's my flesh that's doing it. It's the sin in my flesh. It's Mr. Hyde who's doing it. That's what he's saying. It's certainly not the spirit of God in you that's having you disobey his word. No. It's that crummy thing that indwells us all. The sin that indwells us all. Dr. MacArthur said, quote, after salvation, sin, like a deposed and exiled ruler, no longer reigns in a person's life, but it does manage to survive. It no longer resides in the innermost self, but finds its residual dwelling place in the flesh. And the unredeemed humanness that remains until a believer meets the Lord at the rapture or at death. And because none of you are dead yet, You've got sin in your flesh. It's crazy. Remember what Jesus said in the, in the garden when he was talking to the guys? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh. It's the spirit within you is willing. Oh, but your flesh, Mr. Hyde, no good. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5. He said, for the sinful nature, just follow this. This is an unbelievable piece of scripture. For the sinful nature, Mr. Hyde desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. You see that? Is that unbelievable, Christian? Does it help you understand why at times you do some of the dumbest things known to mankind? Do you get it? It's the sin within you. It's, it's, you've allowed Mr. Hyde out of the can. The more you understand this, the more you'll understand the importance of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit for apart from me, Mr. Hyde's in control. And so Jesus says, here's the deal. You're the branch. You better stay connected to me. Because when you're not connected to me, Mr. Hyde's out of the can. It's only when you're, you stayed connected to Christ that you bear fruit. 
that you live a, a God-honoring life. Uh, number four, Paul recognized he was in a battle at times that he was losing. Verse 21, he says, I've discovered this principle of life, and I hope when you leave here, you've discovered it. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. That's the new nature, right? But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This is the old nature. This power, the old nature, makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Man, the... the there's another power within me, and this power makes me a slave to, to, to sin. Your, your old nature, your flesh, uh, uh, just, just, just drags you down to the ground. That's all it does. Which is why you need a power source that's greater than the power of the old nature, don't you? You need a power that can keep Mr. Hyde contained. You can't do it on your own. And the moment you gave your life to Christ, the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've got the greatest power source known to mankind living within you. And it's only through that power can you keep a lid on the thing that you might live a holy life, a godly life. Number five, Paul recognized that he was somewhat trapped. I think, he's, he, I think he's sitting at a table when he's writing this. And he gets to, you know, chapter seven, and he's at the end of chapter seven, and he's writing this whole thing out, and God's Holy Spirit's reminding him of just the junk in his life, the crud in his life. Mr. Hyde's in control at times. I want to do right, I don't. And he's writing this whole thing out, and he finally gets to verse 24, and he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And the word miserable in the Greek literally means worn out from exhaustion. It, it means having fought such an intense battle, you're out of juice. You're just out of energy. And he's going, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just miserable. I'm exhausted. I got sin I got to carry around with me all the time. In fact, you know what's interesting? In the New Testament... When, when a murderer, you know, killed somebody, a judge would often uh, sentence him to have to carry the dead body around. No joke. And so what they would do is they'd take a shackle and put it on the guy's wrist, and they'd run a chain down to the dead guy's ankle or something. And literally, you had to carry the dead body around with you wherever you went. Imagine you go to Starbucks, you know, <laughs> you're, you're in Starbucks in line, there's a dead guy. It, it reminded you of your sin, it reminded everybody else you're a sinner. Imagine the stench and the smell that would have came, the burden of carrying around a dead body. I think that's exactly what Paul had in mind when he said this. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I'm, I'm carrying this body around. It just stinks and it just reminds me of my sin and my disobedience. Who? Who's going to cut the chain off this thing? And I think as he was writing this, who... I'm a miserable guy. I think all of a sudden, bam! The Holy Spirit lowers the boom. 
And it's at this point he remembers. And he writes verse 15, which is the sixth point. Paul recognized the solution to it all. That was Jesus Christ. He said, thank God. Oh, man. I'm glad the story doesn't end there. Having to deal with sin all the time doesn't end there. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So so you see how it is in, in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. I got Dr. Jekyll. He's good. He wants to do what is right, but the problem is, is I, I got this sinful nature. I still have Mr. Hyde. Still got to deal with him. Beloved, the only way you can live the Christian life is to let Jesus Christ live it through you. The other day I was asked by somebody, hey, is it a hard thing to live a, a Christian life? Is it hard to be a follower of Christ? And I said, no, it's not, it's not, not hard. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for anybody to live the Christian life. What God calls us to as followers of his is absolutely impossible knowing that you got Mr. Hyde you're dealing with all the time. It's impossible. Unless you tap into Christ and you allow him to work through you. Remember, this section's all about living a sanctified life, a holy life. And once again, Paul circles back around and he says, here's how you live a sanctified life. Here's how you live a holy life. Yeah, you got Mr. Hyde to deal with, and yes, there'll be times when he'll get the better of you, but here's how you do it. It's through Jesus Christ. Staying connected to him. Allowing him to live through you. That's, that's how you do it. And here's the deal. It could be that there are some of you here, you walked in today, maybe you're over in the venue, and you know, th- this is, this is kind of you. Mr. Hyde's in control right now of your life. Oh, you're sitting next to your spouse maybe, and you got smiles on your face, but you both know. Mr. Hyde's in control. Why don't you go into the altar and let us pray for you? Maybe you're a single person here, and Mr. Hyde's in control of your singleness. Mr. Hyde's in control of your dating. Why don't you go in there and say, hey, would you pray for me that I'd live a holy life? Maybe you're here and you're a, a student, and Mr. Hyde's got a hold of your parents' marriage. Why don't you go in there and let us pray with you? Let's pray for you, parents. Maybe you got a teenager, and man, Mr. Hyde's in control of your teenager. Let's let us pray for you. Maybe you've recognized Mr. Hyde's in control of how, <clears throat> how you go about work. You're not really a good employee. You're angry and bitter. You deserve a raise. Somebody else got the promotion, and you're bitter, and you're a follower of Christ. And you just know Mr. Hyde's is eating you up. Why don't you go in there? Let's pray for you. Maybe you're here and, uh, I don't know, something great happened last week. You got the test results back and you don't have cancer. Woo! 
why don't you go in there and ask one of our elders, say, hey, would you pray for me? I just, would you offer a prayer of thanksgiving up to the Lord? You know, God likes that too. Maybe, maybe, maybe you got a job this past week. You've been looking for a job. You'd go in there and say, hey, look, I just want one of you to pray and thank the Lord for my new job. I'm so thankful to God. That'd be a good thing to pray for. Maybe you're a small businessman and you just closed an unbelievable deal that you know, you're golden for the next quarter because of the deal you just closed. Hey, why don't you go in there and say, hey, I just, I want to be thankful to God. I prayed, and now I just want to come in here and say, would you pray and be thankful? I just want to thank God. And I don't want to just keep it in here. I want you to know one of the pastors of my church. We pray for we pray. See, there's lots of reasons why you ought to go into the altar. Maybe you just walked in here today and you're just broken. I mean, you are just broken. You had a crummy week. I don't know what happened. I, I don't know, and I don't care. It doesn't matter whether I know. I can't fix anything, but I know a God who can. And we'd love to talk with him about you. It may be full. Every hour, the thing's full. You can always come and just sit down in here and be by yourself and pray until somebody can get to you. I don't know. Take advantage of the altar room. There's one over there in the venue also. Why don't you all stand over in the venue? Why don't you stand? Father, thank you, Lord, for this weekend. And I certainly have enjoyed all of the music we sang. And last night, last hour, thank you, God, for the music over in the venue. God, I do pray again for all of our kids that are going to the Dominican Republic. It just... It's super cool, Lord. Kids giving up a hunk of their life to go serve you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and the great information you gave us today about why we struggle. God, may our folks here understand this great battle that we have and how it's only one through our relationship with you, staying close to you, Lord. Father, I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.